So I don't know if uh, we're getting a cut from uh, hy V or anything for doing all this stuff, but uh, we're kind of ripping them off anyway, so maybe it's equal, right? You know, last weekend we started this series called I Serve, and it was really uh, what I wanted you to see is this. There's a number of reasons why we can motivate you to serve. We can say, hey, it will help you to grow. It will um, make you feel better. And, you know, you'll be using your gifts. And, you know, all those things are true. But the number one motivation to serve is to understand how loved, how forgiven, how, how much he sacrificed for you. And it's to bask in his love. Because when you know how much you've been loved by Him and how much you are loved by Him and forgiven and how much He sacrificed for you, you basically have all the motivation and all the, you, know, you have everything that you need, the desire and the ability to forgive, to love, to serve other people, because you draw from that rather than, you know, what am I going to get out of this? In other words, you could serve somebody and not get anything back and say, I wasn't looking to get anything back because I have everything I need from Him. That was my point. And the verse uh, that I would you know, send you to again is Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. I'll read it. You can put it down, but don't turn there yet uh, because we're going to go to another place. Uh, Paul says this, May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And, and his point is this, when we begin to understand His love for us, then serving becomes kind of second nature. Our motivation, our desire, everything comes from Him. And that's the greatest motivation you could ever have, to serve. And so it, when, when you grasp, when you begin to grasp His love and bask in His love, well, there's all the motivation you need and all, all the, you get all the ability you need. But what I want to talk about uh, this weekend is, I want to talk about some of the missteps in serving. Because sometimes you'll serve... And you'll take some, you'll do it for the wrong reason. I guess that's what it comes down to. You'll do it for the wrong reason. And there's really three common thing, reasons why we'll serve. And they're really missteps, and we want to look at them. And so we're going to jump to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4. This is on page 883. If you want to use the chair Bible, uh, we have those in the seats. Uh, page 883. And Second Corinthians chapter 4. And I just want to read the first seven verses, and then we'll talk about... Some of the wrong reasons to serve, okay? Um, so Paul is writing, and he says this, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all, uh, and all who we are honest, know, all who are honest know this. We tell the truth. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves, we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness. He made the light shine into our hearts or in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves 
You might want to underline the next phrase. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. So what are these, what are these common missteps that we can often take? Three of them. There's more, but let's talk about three of them. The first misstep is that I try to live a self-sufficient life, that I live as though I don't need him. It's really easy to fall into this. It's really easy to live our lives that way. Paul tells us, he, and I asked you to underline that phrase, that we are fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Um, maybe somebody down the road has called you a crackpot. It's not necessarily uh, uh, an endearing term, is it? Uh, it's liking them to calling you uh, a nut job, a madman, a lunatic, an oddball, a head case, a space cadet, a whack job. Those are just a few that I thought of. Uh, those aren't like endearing. It's like, oh, well, thank you for that. That's very nice of you to call me that name. Uh, no, uh, but in this case, it's a positive thing because it shows us our limitations and it shows us our desperate need. Because essentially Paul says, you don't understand it, whether you understand it or not, you're a crackpot or a cracked pot, right? And that you leak and there, there, you, you, you have a precious, 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 you're a precious container of something very precious, right? And so what does that mean? Paul is painting a very uh, significant picture and there's a few lessons we can learn from that. The first one is that every one of us is broken and flawed. And we know that in our hearts, and we, you know, we may try to put on a good show, but we know that we're broken and, and that we're flawed. Uh, we're always on the verge of becoming empty. And we have to understand that the beauty within us isn't, isn't the outer shell. It isn't us. It's what's within us. God within us. And that's an amazing truth in and of itself that the Bible says that when we become Christians, the Spirit of God takes residence within us. The Spirit of God, the presence of God is within us. And so the point we need to see is the treasure is not us. It's in us. And, and boy, when we don't understand that, we can go out in our own power. We can try to do it on our own. And we can, you know, say, I have gifts, I have talents, I have abilities. And we can get pretty far down the road. But essentially, it's us and it's not Him. We need Him. For without Him, we're empty, we're flawed, we're broken vessels. And we have really nothing eternal to offer the world when we try to do it on our own. So... That's the first thing. Secondly, we leak a lot. You know, crackpots uh, leak, and but when they're filled with God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love, leaking is a good thing because we leak all over, all over people around us, and it's good. It's a good thing, you know, to do that in a sense that uh, God is pouring out of us, and so. Uh, Wherever you go, think of yourself as a leaking pot, but containing the presence and, you know, the power of God and having His forgiveness and His grace and mercy and, and, and allowing your speech and your behavior to characterize that. And so as you come in contact with people, you leave a trail of that. You leave a trail of grace, a trail of mercy, a trail of, of, of forgiveness. And all these good things can happen. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my mom had flowers and we had this one water pot and I remember I'd have to go to the hose and fill it up. And, you know, she had all these flowers. And I didn't understand why she had all these flowers. And I didn't carry out the tradition because I have no flowers. And people give me flowers and they die pretty quick because I don't water them. <laughs> Got to do that. But so I but I remember watering. The watering can had a hole in it. And it was like you had a 
it was okay when you're close to the, but when you went further away, the, you had to really run to get, and it was like really a pain because the holes wouldn't reach there. And it was like, you couldn't really plug the hole and it was like, you was like hurrying, but you, you'd leave a trail of, of water wherever you went. And, that, and in a good way, a crack pot when it's filled with God can leave a trail and, and can really have a positive effect of, of the people around them. Broken pots though, who see their flaws, know that they have nothing without Him and they can be used in mighty ways for His kingdom. They know that they need to be filled up again and again. If you know you leak, if you know you're cracked, you know you leak, right? And so when you leak, you know, I need Him. I need to be filled by Him on a regular basis, almost a daily basis, because if not, I'm going to run dry. So I want to ask you as we start a new year out, and you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you feel dry? You feel like God is like not close and not with you and, and, and you feel like you've just, your spiritual life has run dry. Well, guess what? That'll happen. <laughs> because unless you are experiencing the presence of God, you're taking in His Word and you're with God's people and you're getting the encouragement of God in His Word and you're, you're talking to God, you're not filling the, you're not filling a pot that's gonna go dry. It's ultimately going to go dry. It's not if, it's when. And so, in a sense, part of your problem is, if you're dry, is you're, you've, you've separated yourself, you've, you've separated yourself from the hose. You, you've separated yourself from the presence of God. You haven't, you haven't fanned the flame, Paul talks about fanning the flame. Mis, mixing metaphors, but that's okay. Um, so the point is, have you run dry? And, and, and maybe the reason you've run dry is because you haven't been allowing the Word of God to, to refresh you. You haven't allowed God's people to refresh you. And so get connected with God's people and, and God's Word. And when you do that, you'll find that that, that that fragile pot with all the cracks will be filled up and you'll find you'll be a positive influence on the people around you. So we leak a lot. And then number three, the, the, probably the most important and what we need to remember is we carry an, an incredibly valuable cargo uh, Broken pots know their place in the universe. Right? That it's not about us, it's about Him. And, and we know that it's the cargo that we carry. Uh, they're only the vessel, not the treasure. They know that they're nothing without Him. And boy, that's a lesson that we have to learn, folks, because it's so easy to go out in our own strength and think we're the treasure and we're not the treasure. Paul says this, he says, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it has to be that way. So the point I want you to see in this, in this first, the first, the, the first danger, the first misstep we take is we try to do it on ourselves. We think we're self-sufficient. But Paul says, no, you're a crack pot that's going to run dry, that it, it's not about you, it's about what you carry. And, uh, so we have to learn why servants know that they're merely a broken vessel continually in need of the master's filling, the broken vessel knows it desperately needs the master. And when we go up, when we wake up every day and say, Lord, I can't do this day the way you want me to do it without you in me. And when we pray that way and we take in God's word that way, and we ask him to use us that way. I am so tired of this. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> it's in the way. Um, but when we do that, then you know, what we find is 
voila, God begins to use us in, in that day in ways that we never dreamed, right? He, he brings opportunities, he brings conver- turns conversations, all those things happen. So that's the first point, the first misstep. Secondly, uh, the second misstep is we seek to be spectacular. Um, and we already touched on this a little. Uh, broken jars really don't have a lot to be to brag about, right? We, it's not like people come and look at the jar and go, wow, what a beautiful jar. It's all cracked and broken and flawed and leaky and not very useful. Uh, but it's not that. It's what's, what the jar contains. So, uh, but but I, what I find is many Christians want it to be about their them, the jar, right? They want to be... They want to be spectacular. I've had people come to me and they say, Pastor, I think God wants me to do something really big. I think He wants me to do something spectacular for Him. I think He wants me to do something really hard for Him. And, and, and I just feel God calling me to, to go and do something hard and spectacular. And, and I, I, I've said this to a few of them. I said, what if God wants you to do something small? Something insignificant? Something that you could, you could pretty much do every day. What, what if God doesn't want you to do something spectacular? I mean, what, what, is that a possibility? Is it a possibility that God maybe doesn't want you to do something spectacular? He just wants you to be a common Corinthian cobbler. He just wants you to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says this. He says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone and distort the word of God. We tell you the truth before God. And all who are honest know this. And you know, when I see televangelists, and it's not about televangelists, it's about you and me. I see a lot of trickery. I see a lot of manipulation. I see a lot of promises. But in the end, you know, God isn't looking for that. He's, he's looking for faithful followers, people that just wake up every day and say, I'm going to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So many Christians have this celebrity mentality. Jesus refused to be a stuntman. He wasn't looking for headlines, recognition. Instead, he often sought, you know, um, Tonight is the is it Golden Globes or something where Hollywood and t- television comes together and they're going to get all their awards and good for them they should get awards I guess, but the point is, uh, you know everybody wants to be be seen and known and stuff and 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 I get that that's part of their profession, but what, but the the, the thing about it is that that is leaked into the Christian life and people say well I I want to do something great for God I want to be known as somebody who did somebody great for God and. Um, my thought is this, that we're looking for the wrong, we're, we're playing to the wrong audience, I think. Um, like, what do I mean by that? Um, you know, when Jesus walked this earth, nobody believed in him. Virtually nobody understood what he, uh, even his own family said, hey, you say you're the Messiah. Shouldn't you go and make your, go public here quick? Uh, you, you should do something or, uh, you notice when Jesus healed people, a lot of pe- times when he healed somebody, what did he tell them to do? Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Go to the priest, you know, and do the offerings because so, you're clean now. But don't tell anybody what I did. What do they do? They go and they blab it all over, right? Uh, you know, you go, you wonder about that. But uh, but Jesus kind of flew under the radar. Um, the question I'm asking is this. 
Is it okay for you just to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, the Corinthian cobbler? Is it okay for you to do that? Is that okay, or do you have to do something spectacular? Um, I want to tell you something. We did a funeral in this room on Monday for a guy, Tom Keeper. And Tom and I had a conversation 17 years ago. And uh, probably in the next month, that conversation would have taken place. It was January, late January, early February. And it was about coming to Dubuque to be the pastor here. Tom was the chairman of the uh, deacon board at that time. And we began to have a conversation. I felt like we were on the same page. And God called me here ultimately. And we've been here for 17 years. It'll be 18 this summer. And uh, I remember that because my... my uh, Youngest son, Calvin, is 17, and he'll be, eight, he'll be 18 in about a month. And Carol was pregnant. She says, well, don't move while we're pregnant. I said, no, wait till Cal's born. And, and we, did, we did. So it was in the summer that we ultimately moved. But my point is, it's, it would be very hard for me to find someone else that is responsible from the inception of Hope Church to where it's at today it would be very hard for me to point to one other person other than Tom Keeper to say he may be one of the most important people that Hope Church ever had uh, in, in leadership. Now, and let me describe what I mean by that. He was the chairman of the deacon board, and he did step up and lead, and he stu- stood up front and led from time to time, but not too often. Many times you'd find him with dust all over him, with paint all over him because he was painting or he was fixing a hole in the wall or he was plastering or doing knockdown or something like that. Tom was an interesting guy because Tom would step up and take leadership, but then he would step back when others came along and allow them to lead. He is a reason why we are where we are today. I, I probably, it would be hard to, if I had a number one pick, it would be t- the reason that Hope Church is where it is today is because Tom Keeper was a servant of God who served most of the time behind the scenes. You would, when I use that name, when I said Tom Keeper, there, there's some of you who know who he is. There's many of you who have never heard of him. You don't even know who he is. If I put a picture up on the screen, you wouldn't recognize him. But this is a guy who is a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. He was a hard worker, was a good citizen. He lived a moral life. He loved his church. And we are blessed because of him. Now, from the community, he wasn't... a you know, somebody that they're going to put in the paper and say, you know, he's a great citizen award or anything like that. He's not going to get that. But from heaven, he was a star. My question is, do, do you have to be, you know, spectacular? Do you, ha- do you have to see yourself as being spectacular? Or is it okay to just be faithful And just do what God's called you to do. Because that's what is spectacular in heaven to me. I remember standing out there when we were, we had three and a half acres. And we were talking about getting ten acres. 
and I think we had a city planner who was on the deacon board at that time. He said, well, you need about 10 acres, and that will get you to about 1,000 people. That, was, that land could support 1,000 people. Well, folks, we're there. And that was a dream that Tom had, that we would get to that place. Not that we get to the number, but that we would have the capacity to do that so we could reach that many people with the gospel. Tom was one of those guys that could turn, turn any conversation towards the gospel. He wanted as many people as possible to know Jesus Christ and have... Uh, and to know their sins are forgiven and know they have the hope of heaven. That's essentially why he lived. Now, we're not all going to be Tom Keepers, and that's what I'm asking you to do. But this verse from Paul really describes, I think, what Tom was after. This is Colossians chapter two, verse, or 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get that right, it's a beautiful thing. When we get it wrong, it's absolutely horrid. So we need fewer people who desire to be spectacular and more people who are willing to be faithful to their spouses, love their kids, modeling Christ in their lives, setting and keeping reasonable boundaries with them, being good citizens, living pure lives, serving behind the scenes by loving and supporting His church, by offering their time, their talent, and their treasure for His kingdom. That's what we need. We need Corinthian cobblers. We need faithful followers. That's what we need. So the point I want you to see is we need to live spectacular lives before heaven and live behind the scenes in this world. It all depends on where you want your praise to come from. But if you're a cracked pot, you realize that you're here to serve. You're here to serve, right? Here's the third misstep. Plotting to become powerful. Uh, seeking power is not a trait of a servant of Jesus. In fact, Jesus had to take His disciples to task because they were buying into the power game of their world. And it hasn't changed over 2,000 years. The, the game still goes on. People are looking for power. They want power. And G, they want recognition and they want power. And Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 35. And again, the passage I read earlier was Mark 10. Now we're in Mark 9. This is an ongoing problem with the disciples. And it says, this is page 769. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve disciples over to him. And he said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now, Jesus was not against leadership. And he was not against leaders leading. In fact, he set up clear leadership structure when he walked on this earth. Leading, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, leading is appropriate, necessary, and good when it's done according to Scripture. But seeking to manipulate people, always needing to be in full control, never serving those you're called to lead, this is not what Jesus had in his mind. That's not what Jesus is thinking about. There's only one God, and it ain't you and me. And, and that's really comes down to, you know, when you see yourself as a cracked pot, you see, I'm here to serve Him. And, and it's all about Him. And, and when we lose that, and we try to manipulate people, we try to get a following, try to get a posse, try to get people to like us, uh, we're, we're, we're missing the point. Why servants know a few things. They know they can't control people and they can't fix them, so they don't try to. 
They know they'll never meet the expectation of those they lead. If you step up to lead and God's called you to lead, you're going to get people who aren't going to like you. They're going to misrepresent you. They're going to say terrible things about you. But that's part of leading for God. But you say, I'm leading because I'm leading. I'm serving God and and I'm playing to an audience of one. Frankly, I only care what he thinks. And and that means that if you only care what he thinks, that's not going to make things right with you and everyone else on the planet. In fact, it's going to bring you in conflict. Because if you do what he wants you to do, you're definitely going to come in conflict with other people. Why servants flee from the limelight? They could care less who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. Let me say that one more time. Why servants don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. Why servants know their limitations and seek others to join them in their weakness. One of the things that Tom made Tom an, an exceptional servant was that he was willing to step back when others came with leadership skills. They know that God works His glory out best when we all work together. Wise servants understand it's all about Him. So I want to tell you a story, and it's a true story about Sarah. It's told by a pastor who, this little girl, she was a second grader. She uh, was a t- she came, Her family moved into town, and she began to attend his church, and he's giving his perspective. And he basically said the parents basically came to the church and Sarah, uh, a second grader, uh, immediately became a a, a part of the church. And she was a boisterous girl. She had a lot of energy. And let's just say she was naughty sometimes, but she became known in the church. Everybody knew who Sarah was. She had that personality uh, that you kind of fell in love with. So one Sunday uh, in Sunday school, the teacher was basically talking about how everyone can serve and everyone can be useful. And uh, she said, the teacher said, there is usefulness in serving God, and doing so is worthy of honor. In other words, serving is worthy of honor. And so the kids were quiet, and they soaked up the words. And as the lesson ended, uh, she just thought, well, that would be the end. But, you know, Sarah pops her hand up, and Sarah said, well, teacher, what can I do? I, I I don't know how to do too many useful things. And so the teacher didn't expect this and kind of said, okay, what do I do now? There's nothing in the lesson plan for it. It didn't prepare for it. So she looked around and she saw a, a, a vase. And she says, well, here's what you can do, Sarah. You can bring a flower next week and put it in the vase and, and make sure that the vase has a pretty flower in it. So sure enough, the week rolled by and uh, Sarah came in with a big dandelion she stuck the dandelion in the vase. And so there's the vase with the dandelion. Sarah felt very good about it. And every week, week after week after week after week, she began, she was always faithfully putting the dandelions in the vase. So it got to be one of those things where she was, you know, she was very just on the money with it. And so the pastor was doing a series on serving. And he describes how he brought her vase up there with her little flower in it. And it was to be an example to everyone that it doesn't matter how old or, you know, how old or young or, you know, whatever. Everyone can serve and there's honor in serving. And so uh, he had her little little vase with her little flower in there. And uh, it was, a, you know, it was a, meant to be an object lesson to the congregation and they took they uh, took it as an object lesson, and it was uh, well received. 
And so the following week, after he had used her vase as an object lesson, Sarah had been having some health issues, and she was uh, diagnosed that following week with leukemia. And um, it attacked her body, and as time passed, she became confined to bed. She lost her smile. She lost most of her weight, and uh, she couldn't come to church anymore. And everybody, you know, tend, you tend to forget, you know, right? So uh, life went on. One Sunday morning, as the pastor was closing his sermon, uh, there, and he still had the little vase there. Um, I think it was a reminder for them to pray for Sarah and her family. But uh, there was a commotion at the, uh, the back of the church, and everyone looked back, and there was Sarah, all wrapped up in a blanket with her parents. And she walked down, and she put her flower in the vase with a little note. She had a little note next to it. And she left. I mean, they, that was it. That was the last time she was in church. Four days later, she died. They had the funeral. It was very sad. The pastor who presided over the funeral uh, pulled the parents aside. And he says, I've got something. You need to see it. And he had the note that Sarah had set next to the flower, to, next to the vase. And the note said this, Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life. And it was signed by Sarah in pink crayon. A little girl can understand what it means to serve. A little girl can get that concept. So it's not a matter that we need to get that concept. We understand that concept. The question is, where are you at? Where are you at with serving? Because God has given us gifts and abilities to serve. The question is, do we see the honor? Do we see the joy? Do we see the significance of serving? Christ has given us the ultimate example when He came from heaven to earth and gave His life. Little Sarah, basically a second grader, basically figured out what serving is. I think one of the great things that we could do this coming year is say, how am I going to serve this year? It may be behind the scenes. It may be doing jobs that no one else wants to do, but you don't care, you'll do it. It doesn't really matter because the question is, who's your audience? Who's your audience? Do you want to be a superstar among other people around that know what you're doing and when you're doing it? Or are you willing to allow heaven to be the one that sees everything? Right? So, we want to help you get plugged in. So if you go to the Connection Center, if you there's a QR code, you can get more information about where you can serve and You know, it's just a matter of getting plugged in and trying different things. And it may be here in this faith community. It may be in the community at large. It doesn't really matter. But God has given you gifts and abilities to use for His glory. And my challenge to you is this January, if you're not using your gifts, figure out what they are. And you figure out what they are by doing stuff. And as you begin to do stuff, you'll see this is who I am and this is what God's wired me to do. And when you begin to do that, you'll see there's very... 
there's a very honorable and it's a very powerful thing that's going on in your life when you begin to serve others. But you don't do it for what you get from them. You do it for what you've gotten from Him. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask for Your help because without Your help we are empty vessels and cracked and flawed. And it's only when You empower us and enable us that we are able to leak Your grace and mercy and uh, all the good things that You bring into our lives. I pray, Father, that You would... uh, Help us to be known as a community, a faith community that serves this, oh, this general community. That we're all about serving one another and serving others. And we don't really care who gets the glory. We, we really care who gets the credit. We want you to get the glory. Father, may we live the gospel in such a powerful way that people give praise to our Father in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.